in a place like Orkney, you have to evolve over time. It's good to keep traditional things, but you have to you have to change a little with, with the way things go. Welcome to my podcast, Spirit and Spice. I'm Gilly Bashan, a writer and broadcaster with a passion for food. Not just the food on my plate, but the people and the stories behind it. Although Orkney blood flows through my veins, my feet did not stand in Orkney's soil until later in life. On my first unforgettable flight to Kirkwall, the plane soared over a colourful tapestry of farms, houses, cattle, sheep and clear turquoise waters daffled with darting shoals of fish and the popping heads of seals, all illuminated by the firelit backdrop of a golden setting sun. It was more than a beginning or a welcome. I felt I had come home. That is Liz Ashworth reading from her book, Orkney Spirit. And Liz, you're here with me in Orkney as my mm-hmm. guide because we're at the Science Festival, which coincides with Foraging Fortnight. Mm-hmm. And I assume they go hand in hand in Orkney. Well, they do. The Arcadians, the islanders, have foraged for generations. I have connections with Orkney on both sides of my family. My aunt and uncle lived for many years in North Ronaldsey and my great-grandparents were from Kirkwall and I know that the famous Orkney chairs, they are made originally with driftwood that was collected from the beach because there's no trees growing in Orkney. And before there were ferries to the islands, the islanders had to use what they had. As my great-grandmother would have said, use what you've got and you'll never want. During this festival, how is the foraging uh, being brought into it? Well, it's been done in a very clever way. The medical herbalist, our friend Anna Canning, who's a very popular lady at the Science Festival, she's going to be doing uh, foraging walks and picnics and talks, very, very interesting, and cooking with foraged ingredients and we've got uh, a fish skin workshop by Zeki Bashan and he's actually going to show us how to make leather with fish skin and uh, Wendy Barry is coming to talk about baking with foraged ingredients especially bread there's a Neolithic dinner and various other talks seasoning the science festival program so tell me about some of the people who live in Orkney Um, how they use the the local produce and the wild produce. Well, Callum McInnes is a great example. The first time I ever met Callum, he was smoking tomatoes that were grown by a well-known man called Bob Wilson at Bursey, and he was smoking them for another friend, Glynis Leslie, who has Orkney Islands Preserves, and she makes the most wonderful smoked tomato chutney. Oh, that sounds delicious. Now, it's a lovely story about how Glynis started making her preserves. Uh, When her family was young, she filled the Gerber baby jars as gifts for friends, and everyone enjoyed it so much. So, in a way, she used what she had. And Callum makes the most wonderful cheese as well and puts in local herbs and local onions and even Highland Park whiskey. And in fact, am I right in thinking Gilly has got one with gin in it? He does, yes. yes. That's coming up in one of the podcasts. Yes. Also, he's smoking local brie cheese. Mm, that yeah. sounds delicious yeah, too. So I think I'll have to get my hands nice on that. nice to have a visit to see <laughs> Callum. And then there's Kevin and Anne Rendell from Westry. They have a, a fish business also in... 
Kirkwall. Westry is well known for its fish and chips. Fresh fish and chips, I think it's a Thursday and a Saturday, and people go from all over the islands to the Westry fish and chip shop. And then we've got Richard Shearer. Now, everyone has to go to Shearer's. It's just the most wonderful shop I've ever been in. You can buy it. They've got the wherewithal to cook it. They've also got the wherewithal to grow it, to harvest it, and even to shoot it. You name it, Richard Shearer's got it. And you mentioned that Orkney has no trees, and that is one of the first things you notice about Orkney. The second thing you notice is there aren't really very many hills either. Mm. It's quite flat. Mm. And then there are quite a lot of windmills. People are powered by their own windmills. But also, I've noticed how friendly people are and what a sense of community there Mm. is. Is that something that you think is quite striking? Oh, gosh, yes. I mean, in Orkney, cars stop and let you cross the road. (laughs) And I have great friends that live in Westry, and uh, my friend Sandy McEwen says the Orkney motto is, the answer is yes, what's the question? Which I think just sums it up beautifully. the fish skin for my son's fish tanning workshop tomorrow and Rendell has collected these skins for Zeki. How many did you get? I, I think there might be between 30 and 40. We're not quite sure how many's in there. Well, it's certainly a lovely big box of them yeah. for, for the tanning session. Do you ever have that request from people? Is that a Never. normal request? Never. Oh, well, it's you, a first. You saw the results of the leather, so it's a lovely, beautiful. it's really beautiful, isn't yeah. it? So here, what, what exactly is it you do here, apart from getting my son's fish skins? We sell white fish, we process and we do smoking and salt fish and, and that's really just what we do, mostly white fish. And the noise that we hear around us, all these pools that are being filled with water and have scallops and lobsters in them, they're not yours? No, they belong to QA Shellfish in Shetland. And the name of your company is? Peerable Fish Limited. And it was interesting to see how many cars came in and out while we were here. Does that mean people actually come to you to buy their fish? Yes, they do. Instead of going to the fish shop? Um, We still have our fish shop in Westry as well. Um, We just have a small outlet here that we sell to mainland Orkney. So all your fish is coming from Westry? Most of it does, yes. And then uh, over in Westry you've got also a a little factory. I heard somebody in the car park say that Westry is taking over Orkney. Shush, don't say that. (laughs) They'll kick us out. (laughs) Yeah, all the best things come from Westry. But that's lovely that people are actually coming to you because, you know, we really miss that on mainland Scotland. We miss being able to go and buy the fish from places like this. It's quite difficult to find outlets where the fish is coming in, being filleted in front of you, buy it en masse. Yeah. And even to see the shellfish sitting in pools yes. like this, it's, it's red. I, I love places like this. There must be about 400 lobster in here. I think the season's really picked up. It's been really right. good. Um, this last couple of weeks, there's been a lot of lobsters coming through. And are the lobster coming from Westry as well? Uh, or are they coming from Westry and there's some landed locally in Kirkwall as well. Yeah. Right. And then there's all the scallops. They come in from mostly uh, the small boats, the divers come in with the scallops. 
So you'll get somebody from a hotel or a restaurant come in and buy a whole batch oh, yes. from here. Yes, yes. And you just fish them out when they need them. That's right. Yeah. They can choose which ones they want. And then that's how it should be. It Fantastic. is. That's good. Well, thank you so much for giving oh, us the you. time and, and for getting all those skins. No, nope. can't wait to see what he makes of them. Well, if you're lucky, he might make you a bikini. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> a fish skin bikini. I think we'll stop there. <laughs> Well, I'm having a coffee with Anna Canning. Anna, it's lovely to catch up with you. Well, this is my third Orkney Science Festival and um, broadly speaking, um, I deliver talks and workshops on the uses of plants and green spaces in all sorts of ways to promote health and well-being, um, self-esteem, um, skills, development, that sort of thing. So it's quite broad. I've just been to Doombi Community School this morning where we were um, introducing the children to foraging but trying to give them a sense that they've actually been doing this without realising it and um, so I found out that the children for example um, they have a, um, they call a particular plant soldiers so they're used to finding particular plants to play with and so giving the sense that foraging is maybe not just about food but about in, engaging in interesting ways with the world around them, the natural world. Did you collect any particular plants this morning then? We did indeed. We were um, collecting some plants that would be suitable for making a wild toothpaste. So we collected some ribwort, which is the plant that the children referred to as soldiers. So they would sword fight with the, with the flower stems. Um, so we were looking at the leaves of that and the properties of them. And we also collected some willow and we did some teeth brushing with willow twigs as well. On Monday, I'm giving a talk, which is kind of a follow on from a talk I did two years ago on the work of Mary Beath, um, focusing on tr traditional medicines of the Highlands and Islands. So lots of foraged plants, but also some very strange ingredients. And there's quite a bit of interest in some of the more um, arcane or very, very strange um, materials that were often used for, for making medicines. Well, things like urine and um, other bodily <laughs> excretions, <laughs> but also things like um, ox gall, so parts of animals, um, minerals, um, earth minerals, that sort of thing. What were they using the urine for? Using the urine for um, improving your complexion. Rubbing it on or drinking it? Rubbing it on, rubbing it on. And there's, there's a tradition, a tradition in inverted commas, that's developed out of that, which some people still practice, which is to rub um, your baby's faces with their freshly wet nappies. Oh. And that's still done, apparently, in some places. And it's very interesting, though, because I've, so I've been looking at what science can actually tell us about some of these very strange practices and whether they might actually have any effectiveness at all. And in fact, the uric acid in urine, and it's used in treatments for things like psoriasis and, and other sort of chronic inflammatory skin complaints. So it's very possible that it could be effective. Seems quite, quite a strange thing to do, though. The remedy making was something that every household did. Everybody did it. And, you know, from the level of children using a dock and leaf for a nettle sting, usually women in the household would go and collect plants at different times of year. They would know how to process them and preserve them to make useful remedies and foods. 
Um, and then beyond that, you would maybe get somebody in the locality who had a little bit more knowledge, often of highly toxic plants and how to use those safely. Um, things that maybe wouldn't be used at, at the ordinary household level. In your research, are there big differences between what happened in the past in Orkney and, and the plants you find here now to what you find where you live back in the Edinburgh region? There are some plants um, which have travelled everywhere humans have their habitation, humans and their animals. So things like nettles and dock and ragwort and thistles and dandelions, they follow humans um, around, the, around Britain and most of, most of Europe, in fact, most of the Northern Hemisphere. You can find them almost everywhere. There are some plants that are much more common here than, than you would find in the lowlands, say. And I'm still exploring that in Orkney and in other parts of the Highlands. So back in Edinburgh, you operate a business called Flora Medica. Tell us about that. Well, Flora Medica, um, the name kind of indicates there's a, a sort of medical or well-being um, emphasis within the range of activities that I offer to the groups that I work with. So what is the well-being that you engage in? Well, I qualified as a medical herbalist in 2007, but I, I did run a, a clinical practice for five years, but I was always quite clear that it was community education that I wanted to, to pursue. So I was able to run courses teaching people how to, how to identify plants and how to make things um, for self-care using those. Something that is natural is not necessarily safe. And that is, is absolutely key. Um, and it's very important to recognise that. I mean, anybody who's done any sort of foraging will, you know, will tell you there are things out there which are deadly and you really need to be careful. Um, likewise with traditional medicines, there are things which are very potent. There are some plants that we're not allowed to use, even as registered, insured professionals. Things like foxglove is off limits. But there are many others that I, I would say that are equally potent that can still be used and need to be used very very cautiously partly as a, as a result of scientific investigation of some traditional remedies like St John's wort we now know that that can interact very dangerously with some prescription medications because it induces liver enzymes which speed up the transit of active constituents of medications through your system and make them less effective and then there are other um, plants or, or even food items which can do the opposite and you'll have too much of the medication sit, you know, sitting around in your system and cause toxicity. And very often the original whole plant remedy or the whole plant part of whatever is being used or the preparation, the way it's being processed, is also very important. And a very simple example of that is something like dandelion. Dandelion is a fantastic diuretic. It's for good reason it's called pee the beds. <laughs> but it's used traditionally to lower blood pressure, a bit like a, a diuretic that you might get from your GP if your blood pressure is creeping up. But your GP will probably give you a mineral tablet to compensate for the loss of minerals through the accelerated urine formation. Um, whereas dandelion has, it's so rich in minerals that you've got this automatic compensation and in fact probably a net gain in most cases. I mean, a lot of dandelion, you'd have plenty of urine to rub on your face. So <laughs> There'd be a lot going on in your house. <laughs> I have to say, I've not tried that one myself. <laughs> 
the way I'm working at the moment, I don't provide remedies. Um, what I try to do is to um, encourage people to find ways of improving their health and well-being by sidestepping some of the public health messages, but enabling them to discover things for themselves in a fun way that will actually encourage lifestyle change. And, and getting people to, to learn a little bit about the nutritional and medicinal properties of the plants and their you know, other uses. So devising activities that can really help people engage with the plants, get to know them, and encourage them to go out and find them and, and do other things with them. And that might be arts and crafts, it might not be food or medicine at all. But all of those things, in my view, and particularly doing them outdoors in a beautiful space, whether it's a community garden or a, or a woodland or um, a remote mountainside or whatever, that, that is all therapeutic, it's all medicinal. The great privilege I have is to be able to work with groups over a certain period of time. It might be three or four weeks, it might be 12 weeks, but we're using the same green space. We can observe the plants, how they change. We can use different materials and really get to know that space and the plants that are growing there. And people really get their eye in and it does change lives, it really does. through that they have their cup of tea or whatever they've got a very very open uh, setup here to come in at eight o'clock fine come in at half past eight fine but we're not religious about hours for the guys they all do eight hours a day but when they do them it's entirely up to themselves i believe works about creating a life for yourself and i know for a lot of companies it's all about the company it's not about the people i've turned on the head in here it's all about the people it's it sounds like it's worth working for Callum McInnes at the Island Smokery. <laughs> I bet you get loyalty. We do, we absolutely get loyalty. And as I say, I wouldn't have a company at this, to the scale it's got and it's still growing without the guys. I mean, it, it works completely in our favour in the, the, the big Austrian order. We had to have guys working from <laughs> 6 in the morning until 8 or 9 at night. And they, they set all that up themselves with the manager without being involved. And we're all quite happy because they knew there was a deadline to get this order done to get it out of the way. That says, right, if we get this done, Friday lunchtime, you're stopping and I'm taking you out of the pub. I'm going to be on the company, but the best ideas come for the shop floor. Smell the smoke. Yeah, you'll smell the smoke. Yeah, yeah, you'll smell the smoke. So, they bring in um, 20 kilo blocks of cheese and they've come into the chill here. So, the 20 kilo blocks of cheese are coming from another cheese. Supplier, yeah. Supplier so in Orkney. Yeah, the Orkney cheese company. So you've got 20 kilo blocks of, that's mature, Orkney mature cheddar, that's been mature for 14 months. And is that your standard base That's cheese? our standard base product. And it comes in here, it gets debagged here, and it goes into this machine. I call this my new car, because that's how much it cost. <laughs> oh, <wow>. <laughs> <laughs> and it's really just, it looks like a cage. Pretty much, uh, yeah. On a frame. Pretty much. <laughs> so the block goes in there, it, goes, it gets pushed through these wires, uh, cuts into eight, eight pieces. Now, eight pieces weigh roughly about 2.5 kilos. They then go on to this cutting unit here. So, if you put a 2.5 kilo block on there, you cut it, and then that'll give you 10 pieces at 250 grams. And that was a supermarket standard. Right. Then, the supermarket and their wisdom they said to change it from 250 to 225, which meant getting another cutter, which meant spending another £2,500 and getting one of these made. 
So when I stroke of a pen at a supermarket, you know the small guys have really got to do a lot of work and effort to, to, to comply with them. So anyway, we did it. But what happened was we now had this slither of cheese of every 2.5 kilo block we cut, which was only about 100 grams and not big enough to sell. So this was mounting up, mounting up, mounting up, and that's when the flavour cheese was born, because we thought we have to do something with this. Right. So we grated some, we added some flavouring to it, we reconstituted it, played around with it, and it took, took us about six months till we could say we could actually produce enough to supply. Um, and we started doing um, sweet chilli cheese, red onion cheese, and garlic cheese, that was the first three. It's now growing. We do cranberry, um, we do Dark Island Ale, we do whiskey, we do Kirkivar Gin, uh, is the latest one. Gosh, um, let's try that one. We've now got about 10 in the range. So you've got your pieces here, mm -hmm. then what happens? So once they're cut, then you've got the smoker. We can now do about 180 kilos in each one of these units. So we've got five at the minute. We're putting a sixth one and we're looking for a seventh one so we can get seven units in the go. So in, in this smoker you've got rounds that look like brie? That is brie. This is something we do for our local market. We smoke. We also smoke brie as well. Which Ooh, is where can I buy some of that? that Bailey's Delicatessen in Stromness. They'll, right. have, they'll, they'll have some of that. Or they will have later today because that's where that's going. Okay. Um, when we first started doing it we used um, oak. Everybody uses oak. Uh, oak's great for doing meats or fish cause, because of the, the, the moisture content. You need a heavy smoke to get into the, the, the product. Cheese is a bit different. If you use oak, it, go, it can go very, very dark. A lot of people use oak uh, for cheese and it, it sells through. But we found that if we change it to ashwood, it, it gives a, a far lighter colour and a, a slightly softer flavour, if you like, you know. But where are you getting your ash? Because we're on Orkney where there's yeah. no trees. Well, there's a, there's a story to that as well. We we discovered it because there's, a, there's two people here. There's a chap... Um, Ian Leonard, who makes uh, Bodrum drums, you know, Celtic drums, yeah. and they're all made out of ashwood. And he was having a, a, a problem in getting rid of his waste. So I said, well, we can take that and use that up because we can use that all, all you've got. So we did that. We were a bit concerned about supply that we weren't going to get any more or, or we would have to go south to bring wood in. But there's another carpenter up here called Leo Kerr who does a lot of bespoke furniture. And in the last two or three years, he's, he's done two or three um, ashwood staircases. So we took all his waste material for that. So we've now got enough uh, wood for probably the next two or three years anyway. And do you ever use waste material from the two distilleries? We do. We've got, uh, we've, we've got whiskey barrels. Uh, we've got whiskey chips that we use. They're actually not from here. We do have whiskey barrels from Speyside. Okay, this is a grater here. This thing will grate uh, a 2.5 block of cheese in about five seconds. It's made our life so, so much easier. So it goes from there into the dough mixer. You put your flavouring in with the cheese, you blend it all together, and then you put it in the compressor and you, you pump it out. And that's it. That's the job. Oh, this is the storeroom yeah, the full store. of boxes of cheese. Yep. Wow. So for people listening, where would they be able to buy your cheeses? Down in the mainland, we supply our um, dark smoked and our light smoked cheddars into the co-op. We also supply our smoky red and our butter into Morrison's. Your um, butter is delicious. We've been having it on our toast every morning. The butter's really taken off. We're, we're doing well, at least 250, 300 kilos a week of butter. Smoked tobaccos and smoked garlic is the other two things that we do. It's an added uh, value product for a company in Sharpensee 
uh, Orkney Preserves. Uh, Glennis out in the shop and she makes loads of different chutneys. And one that she makes is a smoked tomato chutney. So we get the tomatoes, we usually get them from Bursley, smoke them off for Glennis and then ship them over to shop and say she makes this wonderful uh, smoked tomato chutney. She does a garlic one as well. So we, we smoke the garlic. So we, there's actually a box of garlic there just to go to her on, on Monday morning. That box there's full of garlic ready to go. We're eating smoky red. It's a double smoked red mature cheddar. It's lovely and creamy, isn't it? We're just a light smoke. It's mm. not too strong yeah, a smoke at all. Heavy, no, it's, no, it's lovely. Heavy, no, no, no. It goes so well with um, Highland Park. Absolutely does, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit of Kikibar gin cheddar. Uh, Kikibar gin, I don't know if you noticed, when you were served a gin, it, it would have had um, orange peel in it, yeah. So, so we put quite a bit of marmalade through it with uh, the marmalade rind. It's actually tangy and mm. citrusy as yeah. well as mm. your slight juniper flavour. Yeah. And that would actually go brilliantly with scapa. Yeah, yeah. Because of the fruity notes. Absolutely. They're a win-win. We, we have quite a lot of collaboration. Our next door neighbours, Argos Bakery, they do uh, a, a whiskey flavoured fudge. They do a gin flavoured fudge. We supply cheese to them. They do a, a, a smoked cheese biscuit. There's quite a few companies, are, we're all linked together, we all, we all try and work together as a team, as, a, as, a, as an ordinary food group, and if there's any collaboration, we try and make it happen. If, so, I mean, that's how we did it with um, Dark Island Ale, we do a Dark Island Ale Cheddar, which won a Great Taste Award last year. You are winning awards all the time, and yeah, when you yeah. walk into here, you've got a wall full of them, so long may that continue. I love the idea that you all work together with all your different products, and then you can flavour you know, your mm-hmm. cheeses with other people's products. That's a real sort of community spirit that you already feel when you come to Orkney yeah. for the first time. We work really well as a, as a food group. We, we're all heading down to Glasgow in November to the um, Currently Living show. Um, we did it last year and it was a really big success for us all and quite a few of the other traders that were there were watching us all set up and there's a couple of folk were late coming down because songs arrive a day before everybody else so we just start building their stand for them and putting all their stuff out and folk came across and goes why are you helping them but th- th- that's not your company i said what does it matter <laughs> you know, yeah. they're not here that's island that, spirit you see you don't get absolutely. that in the cities I'm here with Richard Shearer up in his grain loft, I hear yeah. you say. Yeah, Not loft. a loft, but a loft. A loft, yeah. That would be the proper Arcadian twang, I suppose. Um, yes, this is what she'd loft, where we would do our mixing and blending. Traditionally, it would have been done by shovels up until 1985. But nowadays, as you can see, we have two upright uh, mixing machines here which uh, can be operated by a single person rather than two people. So you've, you've been in Orkney for a, a brief time and you'll have seen a lot of green fields. And uh, those green fields, uh, we would like to think, I guess, that we were responsible for some of that. So we would be mixing and blending grass seed mixtures, basically more for the north, for the climatic conditions. Uh, we would be also sending seed further north to Shetland and further south to Caithness and Sutherland. So from the end of October right through to the middle of March, I'll be spent on the road visiting farms all winter, looking for orders for the spring. There'll be seed in here from the States, from Germany, Sweden, Finland. There's seed here from France, Denmark, from all over Europe. And these varieties we bring together to blend 
uh, into mixtures for farming, community for um, silage, grazing, that type of thing. And we've had some changes to mixtures recently over the last few years because, as you'll have witnessed, Orkney would be one of the most highly stocked areas in Europe for cattle. So that's a lot of pressure on the land and with wet uh, summers and very wet winters, that's been telling on the land and so We've been developing one or two different types of mixtures that will hopefully would cover some of the poaching that's been going on and make the land a little bit more resilient. We can grow grass here simply because of the milder climate, but also uh, because of the long daylight hours. In summertime, it's not 24-hour daylight, but it is a long daylight period in midsummer. And there's been a very good grass growth this year because we've had moisture and we've had warmth. But the problem now is that the rain continues on and there's a harvest. And a lot of that harvest has gone flat because of the wind and rain have flattened it. And we have another ongoing problem and that's geese. And they can eat a lot of grass and can destroy a lot of crops. Are especially these just barley. ordinary geese on the flight pattern? These are grey lag geese, but they, they, what you're seeing here now at this moment in time would be more our resident population, which is growing annually. And then we have from Greenland then, we've, we have a lot of migrating birds uh, coming down from there, but usually October, November time. With especially on northerly wind patterns, we get a lot more geese migrating down here. Is that why you've got into the goose shooting yep. business? Yes, well that would be... the. In, in a small place you have to look at every opportunity and it may be a problem for somebody but somebody maybe can can make something of it. So yes, you'll see stacked around us here cases of cartridges. I have a son who, who runs a, a goose guiding um, business and so in the winter months, in fact he's starting now, we have quite a few mostly um, wild fowlers from all over the country and from France and some from Ireland and uh, Raymond takes these people out to various sites that he's uh, already organised for the farming community. So uh, the ongoing thing from that is the local butcher gets a bit of business also. Some of that goose meat finds its way to him to be made into goose burgers and sausages. So it's shooting birds and there is another add-on to that. We know about the sheep and the beef on Orkney, but now you've got buffalo and you've got geese. Is there anything else that is new to this table? <laughs> well, in our shop nowadays, there's a great diversity of foodstuffs. People's diet can be quite complicated nowadays. There's fads and fashions, as you, as you would call it. And a lot of people now are making their own bread. And um, so we have quite a wide selection of flowers. Well, we've just come from Huim's Organic Farm on yeah. South Ronaldsea, and we had the most delicious bread. It made six loaves for the lunch that we've just had, and all beautifully warm. But I would imagine the flour came from here. But they also supply you their organic vegetables. Yes. How many other farms in the area supply you with produce? We have a, we have, we have a number of farmers that we get produce from. Tatties is a, is a common thing for Orkney. Cabbage, neeps as we call them. So we've got three supermarkets here. A lot of the trade nowadays goes through these places. There is still a demand for certain types of uh, good uh, local uh, tatties and um, and in season, we've got Sharps Express, which is a, a, an old variety now, but still grown here. Lovely dry mealy tatty. Arcadians traditionally would be looking for a dry mealy potato. So there is still 
a few people growing potatoes here, but nothing like you know what we used to do. It's a change and scene all the time. It's still lovely to walk into a shop like this because you're like a traditional ironmonger. You have absolutely everything everybody needs for their household as well as perhaps some of the things that producers need. And then you do have your, your food end that you've just described that might be minimising over the years. But have you, have you seen enormous changes through your lifetime in the shop? Oh yes, well, um, we were for 90 years agents for hunters who had a, the Brora wool mills, which were a big thing at one time, because people could take a fleece into William Shearer's and you could get wool for that. Uh, we used to sell a lot of knitting yarn here. So that traditional business is finished now. There's still a lot of just basic items that people need. Um, and whilst the supermarkets take over um, the main grocery trade and they, they do some electrical appliances, all that type of thing, they don't bother with a lot of the heavier stuff. And so ironmongery, we still sell brushes and shovels and forks and gardening stuff. Um, and we still um, we sell peats and logs and coal and that type of thing for the winter. So it's very much a, a, a traditional general merchants business. You're fourth generation. Yes, I'm the fourth generation. My great-grandfather started off the business in 1857 and he came from very much a farming and fishing background in, in the parish of Ham and moved to Kirkwell when he was 21 and rented a premises in Victoria Street and two years later he bought the premises. It's been changed and adapted over the years but basically we're still on the same site. So, and I have, a, I have two sons in the business, fifth generation, and I have two grandsons, so maybe someday, maybe. At that point we'll be seeing perhaps uh, motorbikes or something as part of your, <laughs> your stock. <laughs> oh well, um, I would be a keen motorcyclist myself. Um, uh, but yes, who knows? In a place like Orkney, you have to evolve over time. It's good to keep traditional things, but you have to change a little with the way things go. But uh, basically... People are dealing with a, with a family-run business. It's a very much a personal contact business. And we do our best, uh, bend over backwards, um, to um, supply people with you know, the items that they want. And Timeless, majestic, clouds, shadows, murat tones, silver mist, blown spume on leeward shores. Out further past St John's Head, a towering cathedral speckled by seabirds, diving, fishing, playing round Hoy's old man's foaming feet. Don't miss a moment, imprint mind's eye with life, light and spirit. I could read it all day because it just takes me back to the place that I love, Orkney. Orkney.